You are Locked On Cougars. This is your daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. Thanks again for joining us on a Wednesday hump day edition of the show. Got some BYU coaching news we need to pass along to you for the BYU football coaching staff. We'll also talk about our all-decade team for BYU football, switching over to the defensive backfield for one of the better players you actually probably saw play recently in the NFL ranks. And of course, it is a mailbag segment on today's podcast as well, answering your questions about the BYU sports you care about most. So a lot to get to on today's edition of the podcast. We are proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network, America's number one daily podcast network. And thanks again for downloading the show. With that rundown out of the way, let's get to it. This is Locked On Cougars for January 15th, 2020. What's up, guys? I'm Jay Katz, your host here on Locked On Cougars, resident BYU insider. I work for the Zone Sports Network in Salt Lake City, Utah. Thanks again for downloading your one-stop shop for all the BYU news and insider information you can't find anywhere else right here on the Locked On Cougars podcast. This show is available everywhere podcasts can be found, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, Overcast, Essentially, anywhere a podcast can be hit, heard and or downloaded slash listened to, you can find this podcast. And thanks again for joining us on a Wednesday edition of the show. All right, yesterday broke some news about the NCAA transfer portal. Of course, Skylar Southman rolling at the University of Utah made some waves, as I would expect it would, as well as the news that Hercule Latu and Kuje Tapasoa are expected to return to BYU this season. I think in all three cases, I wish them all nothing but the best, and hopefully they have found the right spot for them. Um, some clarification on the Skylar Southam story. Uh, he actually had interest from some, a number of Power 5 schools, including Wake Forest and Virginia, among others, before deciding to transfer to Utah. According to some people I talked to, he didn't want to leave Utah if he if he could afford to. He has a wife that's still in school, etc. So when Utah became an option, he jumped at the opportunity and wished him nothing but the best up there on the hill. But that's not what we're talking about on today's podcast. Wanted to talk a little bit about some new with regards to the BYU football coaching staff. I talked to you guys about this last week about some of the um, changes or non-changes that would be coming to the BYU staff. I spoke with another source just recently, I think it was two days ago, that says that the BYU coaching staff by and large should remain the same going into the 2020 season. I know that's highly disappointing to some of you listening to this podcast who have advocated for guys like Elisa Tuiaki, etc. to move on and create openings on this staff, but I can tell you guys this much. Talking with some people, the biggest domino that was going to play out, it sounded like, was what Gary Anderson and Utah State was going to do with their offensive coordinator position. Obviously, Mike Sanford Jr. left to be Minnesota's new offensive coordinator after one season up there in Logan, and Gary Anderson had an opening. And there was some thought that a guy like Aaron Roderick as well as Fessy Satake could get some interest from Utah State. I can tell you guys this much in talking with people that uh, Utah State did do their due diligence and reached out to BYU with regards to Aaron Roderick and Fessy Satake, but they have found their new offensive coordinator in North Texas OC, Bodie Reeder, uh, formerly of Oklahoma State, as well as an offensive coordinator at Eastern Washington, one of the more prolific uh, offensive teams in the, in the FCS ranks. Bodie Reeder co- will be the new offensive coordinator at Utah State, meaning that every 
everything I have heard in up to this point, so January 15th, 2020, is that the BYU coaching staff should remain intact. Now, in talking with some other sources about this, no matter what the makeup of the coaching staff is, or the 10 coaches on that coaching staff, expect to see responsibilities change on this staff. Uh, I could see a guy like Ed Lamb, who has mainly been covering special teams. He's been established as the linebackers coach. Uh, I could see him making a transition and working more with the defensive line with Elisa Tuiaki. Kalani Sitake took a large role a year ago in working with BYU's linebackers, helping out Ed Lamb, and I could see him remaining in that role. Who ends up being the play caller for both the offense and defense? I I don't know that we'll ever get a straight answer out of anybody on the BYU coaching staff, but I can tell you this much in talking with some people. Aaron Roderick, his increased role that he took on in the latter half of the season last year could be even more pronounced going into 2020. Uh, To use an example for you guys, and I know that this is comparing apples and oranges in some way, but LSU, obviously the national champions this year, just absolutely blew the doors off everybody they faced, beat Clemson on Monday night to win the national title. Well, Steve Ensminger is the offensive coordinator down there at LSU, and he by and large worries about making game plans, etc. But then also their passing game coordinator, Joe Brady, who yesterday news broke that he's going to head back to the NFL. But Joe Brady came in as the passing game coordinator and really helped revolutionize LSU's offense and took a large role in terms of play calling in the LSU offensive staff hierarchy. I could see a similar situation for BYU where Aaron Roderick has more of a role as the primary play caller in the 2020 season, whereas Jeff Grimes is the offensive coordinator is more responsible for game planning, making sure the plan is in place, letting his players know what the plan is. But then Aaron in game sitting up in the booth up there uh, at the Lavelle Edwards Stadium, wherever BYU is playing, he's calling the plays as he sees them play out in front of him from from his perch high atop. I don't know necessarily that is the firm plan for BYU, but I could very easily envision that being the case because, as I said, in talking with the source, I can guarantee you this, or not guarantee, I can, I can report this, that Aaron Roderick is going to take on a more pronounced role with the BYU offense in 2020 than he even had in 2019. I, I believe this BYU offensive coaching staff is very composed, they're very collected, they work as a cohesive unit, and that's one of the positive things I think for BYU fans they should understand is that all of these guys on this BYU staff, a number of them have been offensive coordinators and in the collegiate ranks, but all of them have been willing to sacrifice their ego, their pride, and work together to make sure that BYU's offense is operating at peak capacity. Now, you can quibble with the fact, okay, are they actually operating at peak efficiency or peak capacity? That's debatable. I understand that. But the nice part about the BYU offensive coaching staff in particular is that they're all on the same page together. And that's what I like about how this staff approaches how they go about things. So it sounds like the BYU coaching staff going into 2020, barring a last minute change, will remain unchanged from 2019. But staff roles and the influence they have on different things, both on the offensive and defensive side of the ball, very much could look differently regardless of 
if it's announced, if it's being reported uh, from the coaches that they say, hey, I'm taking on more of this responsibility, I can tell you this much. There will be different um, influences all over BYU's football program, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think Kalani Satake understands that he needs to have guys in positions where they can succeed, and sometimes having a different guy step into a different role and look at it from a different angle can yield new results or better results. So expect to see some shifts in terms of responsibilities for BYU's coaching staff, but the names should remain the same going into 2020. So there you go. Just wanted to pass that along to you guys. We've talked about this a lot previously, but got a few more details I wanted to pass along to you guys as we aim to be, your, like I said, your one-stop shop for all the BYU news and insider information that you cannot find anywhere else. All right, coming up here in just a moment, we're going to stay with the BYU football theme and continue on with our all-decade team honorees. I'm going to switch over to the defensive side of the ball and talk about a defensive back that played early on in the decade of the 2010s, but you probably saw him on a Sunday recently, and what he did was pretty interesting and pretty stellar in all things in all things considered so we'll get to that here in just a moment before we do that though want to ask you guys to take a minute and give us a favorable rating and review on whichever podcatcher you're listening to this show on it helps build our audience because when the podcast providers that you're using see you guys interacting with those podcasts leaving a rating and review similar like so apple Podcasts, you can leave up to a five-star review and a short note about the podcast well when they see you guys interacting with that they make sure to promote the podcast and their algorithms internally on the podcast provider itself and build the audience organically that way. It's a, it's a simple thing. I know I ask you guys to do it a lot, but we've seen an uptick in terms of people giving us ratings and reviews in recent weeks. I want to ask you guys can, to continue to do that. It doesn't take very long to do it, but it does help build the audience. And I thank you guys in advance for doing that. All right, guys, our all-decade team for the BYU football program rolls on today. Yesterday, we talked about Jamal Williams as a no-brainer at the running back position for BYU. We're going to switch over to the defensive backfield today, and a guy that I really enjoyed watching, and you're still watching him play football, in, and it was a BYU safety, and he's now a safety with the Kansas City Chiefs, is Daniel Sorensen. Dirty Dan, as he's been called there in Kansas City, has just been an absolute just steady rock solid performer his entire career at whatever level he's been at he signed a free agent deal with the Kansas City Chiefs in 2014 after graduating from BYU and he's been with the Chiefs ever since and there's a chance they can make the Super Bowl this year he had two of the biggest plays forcing that fumble on a kickoff last week against the Texans as well as that fourth down fake punt snap that he just stalked the up back who got ultimately got the ball Daniel Sorensen is nothing if not solid, and going back to his BYU football career, you can't find many guys that are easier picks outside of maybe a Jamal Williams for the all-decade team for BYU. A native of Colton, California and Colton High School, he played for BYU in 2008 as well as 2011 through 2013 around a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All four years he played as a Cougar. He was a letterman. He had first-team all-conference honors out of high school there at Colton High School. He holds the BYU record for the most pass breakups with 23 in his career. 
a phenomenal, phenomenal player. Eight interceptions in his BYU career. And I don't know if many people that have listened to this podcast remember what Daniel Sorensen did in a BYU uniform. He told a career total of 211 total tackles. Like I mentioned, eight interceptions over 51 games played for BYU. And he was one of the anchors for that 2012 defense that helped BYU finish number three in total defense and number 11 ranking in pass breakups in 2012. Like I said, Daniel Sorensen, he's continuing to get it done in the NFL. Not the fastest guy. He's not necessarily the hardest hitting guy, but everything he does, he does above average, and that's why he succeeded at BYU and now in the NFL. Dirty Dan's a guy I'm going to be rooting for going into the AFC Championship. Of course, if you guys listen to this podcast regularly, you know I'm a San Francisco 49ers fan, and it'd be cool to see a guy like Fred Warner from the Niners playing against a guy like Daniel Sorensen, as well as former BYU alum Andy Reid, as head coach of the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Of course, they've got to go out and win games this weekend in the AFC and NFC championships uh, to make it to the big game. But I think that Daniel Sorensen what he's done in his NFL career has defied expectations because as I said he was an undrafted free agent out of BYU and Andy Reid as he's want to do picked him up. Andy Reid I think does this a lot just because he has the clout to do it but he also understands that BYU players, yes they may be a little bit older because they've served missions etc but he gives them that opportunity to come in and prove themselves and become part of a team if they're able to prove it and Daniel Sorensen he's made good on his opportunity from Andy Reid and the Kansas City Chiefs many times over. He signed uh, I believe two free agent deals at this point. Who knows however long his NFL career is going to last but everything he's done this season I don't think his NFL career is over after this season. I can guarantee you that. It's just Daniel Sorensen was an easy pick for this. A six foot two, two hundred and eight pound athlete uh, there at BYU. He's obviously put on some weight since going into the NFL and I just I look at Daniel Sorensen and I just think you know what that is a football player that's one of the biggest things you just look at and say okay yeah I get it absolutely and obviously he comes from an athletic family he had a brother Brad who played at Southern Utah University and was drafted by the San Diego Chargers in the seventh round of the NFL draft his cousin was former BYU kicker Justin Sorensen he had three other brothers who played college football at various universities but Daniel Sorensen an easy easy selection for myself and hopefully you guys agree and feel free to weigh in by the way if you guys have nominees for this all decade team feel free to send them to us you can follow the show on facebook instagram and twitter at locked on cougars you can follow my personal twitter feed at jacob c hatch would love to hear from you guys and get your thoughts on this all decade team because it's not necessarily uh, an individual effort but i am doing a lot of research and reading up on these players and it brings back a lot of fun memories because that 2012 defense for BYU you one of the best ever at BYU and they've had some great defenses over the years I know the offense has kind of carried the day in terms of BYU's hearts and minds but that 2012 defense led by the guys like Daniel Sorensen you had Kyle Van Noy you had Spencer Hadley etc pretty impressive to see what he did in a BYU uniform and I'm I'm happy to have him on the all-decade team for this BYU for the locked on Cougars all-decade BYU football team so there you go six guys down what are we at now? 20 guys to go. So we'll make sure to break this down for you over the coming days and weeks as we continue to roll out our all-decade team here on Locked on Cougars. 
All right, guys, let's get to the mailbag here on Locked On Cougars. Each week we go through the mailbag, answer some of your questions that you've sent in from the previous week, and can't thank you guys enough for continuing to send these in. Let's start off with a good friend of mine, Sean Broderick, a guy who, who I used to live in the same ward as him. He sent in a question and said, in honor of Zach Selyus, who have the greatest, who have been the players of the BYU athletes with the greatest mustaches in BYU history? And Sean, it's a pretty good question, because Zach Selyus, that mustache is absolutely glorious. Um, my mother uh, recently, and I was talking to her about the BYU basketball program, she was like, who is the kid with the mustache? I'm like, his name is Zach Selye. He's like, She's like, he needs to shave that. And I was like, mom, here's the thing. You can't have other facial hair at BYU, so you guys are doing what they can do. And BYU, the honor code, prohibits beards and other types of facial hair outside of mustaches. So over the years, there have been some absolutely epic mustaches that have come through all the BYU athletic department. But one that stands out to me most of all, if you want to go back, Spencer Hadley, I think one of the better linebackers in recent memory for BYU football. He had a pretty gnarly mustache during his time at BYU. It seems like recently, a lot of times during fall camp, the BYU staff and a lot of players grow mustaches during fall camp. Jeff Grimes this past year had the sideburn slash mustache combo going, and I thought it was a great look as well, so I'd put Jeff Grimes on that list. But going back even further, way back in the day, there's pictures you you can look these up. Tom Homo, when he was playing at BYU, that blonde hair had a great mustache in his own right. Jason Buck, the former Outland Trophy winner, guy here st- who still lives here locally, very vocal about the BYU football program, still rocking an epic mustache in his own right. Had that during his BYU playing career. I even go back to Vaisikahema. Some pictures I've seen of him during his time at BYU. He had a great mustache going on as well. So mustaches in BYU are going to be something that's synonymous so long as the honor code continues to prohibit beards and the like. I think that the honor code should switch it up and let beards happen because some of the mustaches I've also seen on certain students and student athletes, not so good, but hey, that's neither here nor there. I don't make that decision. I don't know ultimately if and when that would be changed, but as it stands, mustaches are here to stay for BYU athletes. And one other player, Sean, that I I thought of growing up watching guys play at BYU with mustaches, etc., one of the guys that I always enjoyed talking to and could grow a great mustache was Tanner Mangum. I thought Tanner Mangum, when he grew it out during his time at BYU, that was a great mustache in, its, in his own right. So over the years, there have been some great mustaches in BYU football history in particular, but Zach Selyus most recently on the BYU basketball program, very much taking the cake when it comes to mustaches. And I have to say, it's a glorious stash he's got. And combo that with the hair with the blonde highlights. He's got a great look going right now. All right, some of the other questions coming in. Let's get to some of the questions from old school BYU. I mentioned last week in the mailbag, he sent me a bevy of questions. Let's get to some of those for you, old school here. Let's start off uh, with a question here. He says, are Finau, Hank, and others expected to be back to 100% by fall? He's talking about Sione Finau, Hank Tui Peloto, and other players who suffered season-ending injuries. Okay, to answer your question, old school, I looked at this, and I saw this actually on social media over this past weekend. Sione Finau just barely had ACL surgery or surgery on his knee that he, after he suffered that late in the season. I'm not sure why the delay. I know that uh, they were hoping maybe he could avoid surgery for the injury. I never was confirmed that it was a ruptured ACL or a completely torn ACL. It could be partially torn, but he just recently had the ACL surgery or knee surgery. So that means to me that he is going to be iffy to get back in time for fall camp if the 
recovery window is the normal six to eight months. We'll see when with regards uh, to what's going on with Sione Finau. Hang Tui Pelo, too, from all accounts. It should be good to go by the time the summer gets here. Of course, he's blown out the ACL in his knee twice in, six, in consecutive seasons. You hope that he has a good run of health. He's considered to be one of the more athletic tight ends on BYU's roster, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. Tristan Hodge, who had a season-ending injury in his own right, his father broke the news a couple weeks ago, and we talked about this recently on the podcast. He's expected to be full go by spring ball, and I think that having Tristan Hodge healthy is just a big-time addition to the BYU offensive line. And similarly, from what I'm hearing for Kiefer Longson, is he should be good to go by the time fall camp gets here as well. So the top two guards on BYU's offensive line going into the 2019 season that you lost to season-ending injuries, having them back healthy for BYU should what may, should make for what appears to be a very strong BYU offensive line. It should be even better than before with all of the replacements that saw time this past season, growing up another year, another year in the weight training program, etc., I think there should be some optimism there for BYU. Additionally, one other note is that Bracken Bakri, he did not play in the Hawaii Bowl dealing with an injury. He should be good to go by the time spring camp gets here, if not the summer at the very latest. So the good news is outside of Sione Finau old school, it sounds like everybody should be on track to get back to full health by fall camp. Uh, also old school asked, is Neil Pau on track to return and when? Neil Pau is on track to return. He's actually one of the better players on BYU's practice squad this past season really gave a good look to the first team defense because of his ability as a wide receiver he's so tall he's six foot four he's 220 pounds he looks the part of a dominant wide receiver will that transfer to when he finally suits up for BYU once again we'll see but it sounds like he should be participating in spring ball if he gets clearance from the university coming off that honor code suspension but I would expect that by fall camp at the very latest Neil Pout should be good to go at BYU and I'm hoping that he goes out and has a great junior and senior campaign now that he's got some of his demons in his past and kind of figured things out in that regard all right one other question here from old school BYU uh, he says that which uh, oh, sorry, excuse me, which DBs will be stepping up next year? Which new additions will earn and lock down spots? I've heard a lot of good things about Skyview addition Caleb Christensen, a kid from Logan, Utah, the Logan Valley up there in Cache County. And I've heard good things about him. He's not the tallest defensive back in the world, listed at five foot nine. That may, might be a tad bit generous, but he's got all of the athleticism in the world to be an impact player at BYU. Will that ultimately translate to him being an impact player in 2020? I don't know because there are a lot of options at cornerback and safety for BYU, even with some of the graduations. You have to think about it this way. Zane Anderson is expected to come back and play safety for BYU. Troy Warner, we saw late in the season, should be full go. Chris Wilcox, a cornerback should be back to full go this fall as well and you add that to guys like D'Angelo Mandel, Isaiah Heron uh, man there's just so many different options at cornerback and defensive back for BYU Shimon Willis at cornerback was a revelation this past year a guy like Caleb Christensen could come in and be a very good player, but I'm not sure he'll see the requisite time to be a quote-unquote impact player or a guy that you would say, okay, he really locked down a spot. So hopefully that answers some of your questions there, old school BYU. I know you have a bevy of them. We'll continue to get to them over the coming days and weeks, but I've got a couple other questions I wanted to get to today.
Switching gears a bit to BYU basketball now here in the mailbag. We had an email sent to LockedOnBYU at gmail.com by Bill, and he asked the question, Jake, with BYU being projected as a nine seed in the NCAA tournament by a lot of the prognosticators, Joe Lunardi's on that list. I think Andy Katz also had BYU as a nine seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, Bill's question was, how much will Yoli Child's injury and or suspension weigh into how the NCAA tournament committee looks at it? Well, here's the thing. That is going to be the ultimate question for the NCAA tournament committee when it comes to BYU. They're going to have to weigh the games that Yoli Child's played in for BYU versus the games he didn't play in and how he may have affected BYU in that in those games that he missed. I know that that sounds like well, okay, you're using transitive properties in a way if the NC, if you're the NCAA tournament committee to make that decision with regards to BYU. Here's the thing. I'm not worried about BYU making the NCAA tournament at this point. If they continue to tread water for however long Yoli Childs is out for, and they, you just continue to take care of business, you win it against San Francisco tomorrow night at the Marriott Center. You battle well up there at Gonzaga on Saturday night. You continue to take care of business, win the games you're supposed to win, and battle in the games where it's more of a toss-up or you're the underdog in, and I think you'll be just fine. I think the NCAA tournament committee sees BYU, or I think the the national media, I guess I should say, the NCAA tournament committee, I have no, I have no read on, but the national media, who is more in tune with what the NCAA tournament committee is going to look at, how they kind of go about things, I think that they understand that BYU is a very good team this year. They are NCAA tournament caliber, and that's why they're still being pro- projected as a nine seed in the NCAA tournament at this point in January. There's still a long way to go. There's absolutely a month and a half left that BYU has to navigate here and you hope that Yoli Childs is back before long but I think the NCAA tournament committee will very much the question regarding the BYU Cougars and their opportunities to get into the NCAA tournament where they traditionally are under a little bit because of their because of the fact they don't play on Sundays that to be slotted into a Thursday Saturday bracket well you look at that and you say okay that's going to make for an interesting situation because is BYU going to lose a seed or two to get them in, get them into a Thursday Saturday bracket or Thursday Saturday format in the NCAA tournament? And will the Yoli Childs issue maybe offset that? Does that make sense? Hopefully, I'm making sense with that. So I think that the biggest question, Bill, your question is the biggest question that the NCAA tournament committee will have to answer with regards to okay, is BYU legit and what seed do they deserve? They're essentially going to have to look at it and say okay. In those games that Yoli Childs didn't play, he probably would have helped them win a couple more or a couple less, however they're going to weigh it. And at that point, you make your determination, and you hope BYU is fully healthy at that point as well because you can't have multiple injuries because then the NCAA Tournament Committee says, well, you've got a wounded team going in here. They're not going to perform very well. Why would we pick them as an at-large team? So stay healthy, win the games you're supposed to, and then leave it in the hands of the NCAA Tournament Committee. But it sounds like the national media, who is more in tune with what the NCAA Tournament Committee, how they think about things. The Cougars should be in good shape for a March Madness birth at this point. Alright, so there you go. Some of the questions answered. Feel free to weigh in anytime at Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at LockedOnCougars. Also, you can tweet at me or send me a DM with your questions at Jacob C. Hatch. And also, like I said, like Bill did, send us an email, LockedOnBYU at gmail.com. Alright guys, that'll do it for today's edition of Locked On Cougars. Thanks to 
all of you who continue to support this podcast. It's a pleasure to bring it to you each and every day. We'll preview that San Diego showdown tomorrow for BYU. I know I mentioned San Francisco a minute ago. It's San Diego looking at the schedule. I'm an idiot. Anyways, I apologize for the screw up there. They're playing San Diego tomorrow night at the Marriott Center, but we'll break that down on tomorrow's podcast. We'll also get to more of our all-decade honorees, all-decade team honorees for BYU football, and a whole lot more right here on your daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. Thanks again for joining us. This has been Locked on Cougars for January 15th, 2020.